This podcast is brought to you by Voltero. In need of a break from the crypto roller coaster? Protect your earnings with physical gold. Find out more at Voltero.com, the world's first crypto commodities exchange. Backed by tech stars and used by thousands of investors around the globe. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This podcast is brought to you by Voltero. In need of a break from the crypto roller coaster? Protect your earnings with physical gold. Find out more at Voltero.com, the world's first crypto commodities exchange. Backed by tech stars and used by thousands of investors around the globe. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. Uh, today, my guest is David M. Ewalt. He's the author of Defying Reality, uh, which goes into the history of VR, AR, and uh, those technologies. I'm really glad to have him. David, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, tell listeners a little bit about your your background and what led to the writing of this book, and then we'll dive into the book itself. Sure. Well, I'm a, a business journalist. I um, worked for a bunch of places, but most recently at Forbes for about 10 years, where I covered a lot of emerging technologies and uh, 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 particularly started to focus on the video game business uh, five, six years ago, just because you know, growing up, I had my Nintendo Entertainment System and I enjoyed video games. And as it became a bigger and bigger business, I started transitioning into that. A couple of years ago, I uh, discovered that there was this resurgence of virtual reality happening. There was a big Kickstarter that came out for the Oculus Rift, and that grabbed my attention as someone who'd always wanted to try the technology. And then that got me covering uh, the whole world of, of virtual reality and, and augmented reality and mixed reality or all these this alphabet mm. stew of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of technologies that are expanding our our perceptions really and, and introducing a new generation of computing. Can you make the joke that it was an, a, a surrealistic experience to cover this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. It is very strange, you know, when part of your day job is like, oh, let's see. Well, I went to a meeting and then I interviewed somebody and then I fought a dinosaur. You know, like it's, you get these weird surreal mm. little moments when, when uh, you know, reality changes and uh, you didn't expect to have that during your work day. That's great. That's great. So tell me about some of the uh, interesting experiences you've had. I've had a few you know, interesting ones in VR and uh, you know, beyond the typical just play a video game. So what kind of experiences have you had? Well, uh, there's there's so many different applications of the technology. I mean, the most obvious one, like you mentioned, is video games. And I have played some, some a lot of fun games in VR. Um, but the sort of cutting edge stuff and the stuff that's really intriguing to me is a combination of well, some of the, the applications for work and for business are super exciting. You know, the first time I had a virtual meeting, which is I actually interviewed a CEO who was in Silicon Valley while I was in New York. And so we both had our headsets on and we appeared to each other to be these avatars in a virtual space. We were sort of in a Chinese garden. Um huh. 
and it was it was remarkable because on one hand, like it absolutely looked artificial. I mean, the technology is not to the point where it's going to trick you into thinking you're in the real world. I was kind of talking to a robot-y looking thing. I heard his voice normally, but it didn't look like him. And the the environment we were in looked like a video game. It didn't look photorealistic. But after a few, the first couple minutes of, of awkwardness, it became very real. And it really felt like I was having a conversation with this guy. And at the end of, of the interview, it, I reached my hand out to like shake his hand, like, hey, thanks for your time, before I realized, oh, yeah, wait, this, this isn't a real person. But when you get that sort of, of, of immersion, you fall into very quickly into this natural reflex of like, oh, I'm talking to a person in a real space. And it just is way more comfortable. And you sort of, yeah, you do forget where you are, even though it's artificially generated. You, you forget about that. I've done some other really cool ones um, in entertainment, you know, things like virtual movies. And, and, and there's a company called The Void now, which is doing sort of amusement park style VR. They have uh, one in Orlando and, and, and one up here in New York City where I'm based, where the one here is, is uh, the Ghostbusters interactive experience. It's based off of the, the recent revival of that movie. And you put on a headset and you put on a backpack and you have a proton pack and a blaster just like in the movie but you actually walk around a set you can't see the set because you're wearing a headset but there are physical objects in the set that match what you're seeing in virtual reality so at one point i had to cross a a a shaky bridge and i could feel the bridge vibrating under my feet even though I wasn't really on a bridge over, you know, Manhattan. At the end of the thing, you fight the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, and they pump roasted marshmallow <laughs> smell into the room. So it's crazy that you get, like, it's an entirely new type of entertainment that I'd never seen before, where I was literally in a Ghostbusters movie. That's really cool. Yeah, at um, CES uh, last year, uh, FLIR, the people that make infrared cameras, they had a VR experience, which I tried, and, you know, you were in, like, a log cabin, but what was really cool is one of the controllers was an infrared camera. So in VR, you hold up this infrared camera and it shows you like the, uh, you know, the heat from the fireplace and the heat from something cooking. And so it was really interesting. Just I've only gotten a small taste, but it's amazing the possibilities you can get with uh, VR and AR and what I've seen yeah. so far. Yeah, and I think like that company, there's going to be so many companies that are going to be using this to demo their products and to show off their stuff. I mean, it makes so much sense. If you're an automobile manufacturer, you know, not everybody can actually get a chance to drive a Lamborghini or drive or test drive a high-end car. But like, it's pretty trivial for these companies to develop a VR experience. We're like, okay, this is what it feels like driving this car. This is what it looks like around you. Consumer technologies, you know, you could try out Canon's new camera in a virtual world and see all the buttons and see how, you know, if, if you like the UI. Same thing for clothing. I mean, I know a lot of retailers are looking into this as a way to, uh, you know, see what a outfit looks like in an actual room, like to see it in front of you, not just a flat photograph, but to check out an outfit or even see it on, on a projection of your body. And I'm sure, you know, it's, it's unspoken, but uh, I'm sure the porn industry is all over VR or is going to be or We'll be making full use of it too. So. 
Yeah, absolutely. And as as is usual in our in our current tech age, porn is kind of leading the way with this with this new form of entertainment. There are porn companies that have been making VR for years now. They were really some of the first entrants actually creating content, and they are making tons of money with it. I mean, a lot of people look at this the same way as uh, the introduction of uh, home video cassette recorders uh, was really driven by porn being available for the first time people could buy porn and have it in their house without like setting up a theater same thing we know streaming video on the internet the first real adopters and the people who pushed that technology were porn companies um and so i think that's happening the same way with vr too is you know, it, that's you know, people have have pretty simple, pretty simple motivations and desires, and a lot of people, that's what's first drawing them into this technology is like, oh, I can, this is this is different. I want to try this. Yeah. What about the uh, societal implications? You know, as a writer, as a journalist, I'm sure that looms large in your mind. What have you seen that are the possibilities of what it'll do to social interaction and how people choose to live their lives and their daily activities? Well, it's interesting because. When I first started working on this book and doing a lot of VR, like I tell people what the project was and what I was doing and people's reaction would often be, oh my God, virtual reality, that's going to turn everybody into zombies. Like we're all just going to be locked in our bedrooms with the VR porn or like lost in some movie or video game. Nobody's ever going to come out of virtual reality. And I think there's certainly some dangers of that. It's a very immersive technology, and I can see people getting lost in it. But at the same time, this is a technology that connects people in a way we haven't seen before. You know, the same way that I described that that meeting I had with the CEO in, in virtual reality. You can connect with another human in virtual reality that you've never been able to do with technology before like i can i could be in a vr room with someone on the other side of the planet and i'm not just talking to them the way we might chat online or even you know facetime and i see them i i kind of feel their physical presence so i think in a way this has a real uh uh, uh, promise of connecting people better you know going back to porn i talked to someone who's uh like a, a a vr uh uh cam girl she does shows for for clients in virtual reality and she said that a lot of her customers um find it therapeutic a lot of them don't even want any sort of sexual content out of it they just want to talk and connect and it's because you're getting a level of connection with the human being that you don't get otherwise you really feel like you're in the same place with them and then of course as far as 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 societal repercussions go there's the idea that virtual reality uh provides a certain visceral understanding of events. So one example is, you know, the New York Times has gone into a a VR pretty strong for purposes of journalism. And the idea there is they've made some short VR films. Uh, One of the first ones they made won like uh, some special awards. It won uh, an award at Cannes. It won, uh, I think it won a special Oscar. Um, But these short films, this first one was about the, uh, like the refugee crisis. Um, And they had interviews with kids in Syria, I think one somewhere in Eastern Europe, uh, one in Africa. But because they're filming it in virtual reality, you see these kids talking about their lives and it's like the kid is in the room with you. So people who tried that really left the experience with a much more profound understanding of this 
humanitarian crisis than they would have gotten from just reading words on a page. And I feel like that's a really positive societal thing, too, is it's, it, it can be a, a tool for understanding and a tool for sharing experiences between people. So, you know, like any other technology, I think there will be, ba- be bad with the good. It'll be good for society in some ways. And, yeah, there will be a lot of people sort of disappearing into their basements and never coming out. But hopefully, yeah. you know, the good outweighs the bad. I mean, the same thing happened. I, you know, I'm 43, and I remember with video games when they first came out, they called people idiots, and they, they worried about them getting sucked into video games themselves and never coming out. And, and some people did, but for the most part, everyone's okay. And I guess VR and AR will be the same thing, you know? Yeah, I, I, I think so. You know, there will be people who get lost in it, but I think most people will, you know, have a healthy relationship with it. Um, it's not going to completely take over most people's lives. AR is different and, you know, may take over lives in a different way. Um, so when I talk about AR and augmented reality, really talking about things like Google Glass and the Magic Leap headsets and Microsoft HoloLens, and that's the idea where you're getting all these virtual objects in the real world, like it's glasses that will make a screen appear in front of you. So it's not that you're disappearing away into a virtual environment. You're not stepping into a video game. It's more like pieces of the video game are popping into reality in the real world. Um, And those technologies are super powerful. And I think those inevitably will completely take over our lives in the sense that I can foresee a near future where everybody, like right now, everybody walks around with their cell phones, eyes cast down, looking at what they're doing on their phone. I think it's completely reasonable to expect that 15 years from now, 20 years from now, everybody is wearing a pair of smart glasses and they've got their personal digital assistant on there. They've got, you know, little icons flying around in the real world. And I think we are sort of moving to a place where the reality that we live in is going to become ceaselessly linked to the internet and to these virtual worlds. I think everywhere you go, there'll be some sort of little virtual object popping into existence or, or uh, you know, maps popping up and showing you where to go. And so that's going to completely change our experience day to day, the same way that, that cell phones have. Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, I tell my kids to look around all the time and I, I feel like the, uh, the new generation, they don't want to look around and use their eyes and you know, like I, you know, my son will lose something. Where is it? Where is it? And I said, it's right there. And I said, you see these things are called eyes. Use them. Yeah. You know, and he gets yeah. mad at me. Yeah. I, I worry that people don't look around at all. You know, they're just it's true. in their and phones. There's, there's, there's also a lot of, you know, especially with kids, but I mean, adults are guilty of this too, of, you know, right. experiencing things through your phone where, uh, you know, you'll go to a concert or you'll go on vacation and people aren't looking at the Grand Canyon. They're looking at their phone screen where they're taking a picture of the Grand Canyon. So the phones have really like gotten between us and experiencing the real world. And at some level, I think AR technology would be good for that because there won't be a screen in front of your face. But also, you know, what happens when you're enjoying the Grand Canyon and then, you know, a little animated a little animated bird pops into existence flying above the thing and tells you that you've got new voicemail. You know, that's going to change the the way that we interact with the world pretty, pretty profoundly. That's true. Yeah, definitely. So what's, um, you know, it seems like a bunch of these technologies were around for a long time, like VR was around for years and then nothing was happening. You know, it was like a failed promise. And now all of a sudden it's, it's here. Why this resurgence the past few years? Why do you think? Well, I think a couple things have happened. One uh, was technological. And what happened was, you know, there was a big uh, surge of VR in the 1980s. There was another one in the 1990s. And there were products that came out 
and just completely flopped. And the reason was because the technology just wasn't advanced enough yet. You would inevitably put on these, these headsets or put on these systems and they would make you sick because the simulation was not good enough and our bodies react to it's the same thing you know if you're seeing a uh, uh, a 3D movie that's bad, or you know, you're well, people get mm. simulation sickness from even playing Doom or stuff like that. It's because if your brain sees something that doesn't look like the real world, that looks wrong, your brain actually thinks that you've been poisoned. It's a biological reaction sure. to the world looking wrong. Your body reacts like, oh, I've been poisoned. My perceptions are off. I'm going to throw up this poison. That's why we get sick and barf when we've got simulation sickness. And that's what those old systems did. The simulations were just not good enough. And so it caused people to get motion sick and, and, and ill. So they crashed and burned. What's happened now is that not just that, that computer technology has evolved, which is important, but I think the, the main thing has been uh, the rise of video games really expanding um, uh expanding 3D graphics. So 3D graphics have gotten much better because people demand better and better graphics for video games. And also uh, the rise of smartphones has made high-resolution computer screens small and thin and better and better. And those are the two things you really need for a good VR simulation. You need a really sharp, really fast, really convincing screen in front of your face that can run these these complex 3D simulations. So technologically, yep. I think that's what changed. And culturally, what changed is I think it's, it's just um, a lot of these young entrepreneurs and the people making VR now are people who grew up on things like The Matrix or you know, cyberpunk mm. novels. They read William Gibson books and Neil Stevenson. And so you've got this generation now of young technologists and young entrepreneurs who simply want to create the world that they imagined when they were a kid. Um, you look at, at, at people like Palmer Lucky, who started Oculus, like that's literally what he says. You know, he, he was super into the Matrix and Lawnmower Man and those VR movies. And that's mm -hmm. what made him want to build this technology. And a lot of people feel that same way. Yeah, yeah very interesting. Huh. Um, in terms of the headsets themselves, it, it, I know, it still seems like we got a long way to go. Like, for instance, I wear glasses and most of the headsets, you can't wear glasses with them and they don't have prescription lenses in them. So it's... Mm -hmm. To me, that just seems like a real failing of the industry so far. And, you know, wearing this big bulky headset on you, I mean, it kind of limits you to being in a, a safe spot where you won't walk off a cliff or into traffic. Right. So yep. it, it seems like there's still a lot of evolution to go in order for this to become ubiquitous. Yeah. Well, so we've just in the last two years seen like what I think of as the first generation of usable virtual reality. Like these headsets are good, they don't make you sick, some of the simulations are really exciting, but it's not great virtual reality. You're still wearing this heavy thing on your head, it gets tiring. Some of the sets you don't want to use for a couple hours. You will start to get eye strain and other stuff. So it's, you know, we're in the Model T phase. We've got, you know, technology that works and gets us there, but it's not ideal. But it's moving so fast. I mean, we've just seen in the last couple of years uh, uh, such advancement. You know, three, uh, two years ago, uh, Oculus came out with uh, uh, its headset, and it had a mobile headset that it, did, it produced with, with Samsung, where you, you put your phone into the headset. Um, now, just a couple months ago, Oculus released a new portable headset that's all built in. Um, and it's, it's just remarkable how much 
in terms of you know how much portable VR has changed in two years. It's gone from this kind of crappy piece of plastic that you stick your phone in to a really high-end headset that has a high-definition picture and really provides good VR. And I think that sort of demonstrates where we're going to be two years from now, five years from now is, you know, we're going to get to a point where it's basically just like putting a lightweight pair of goggles over your, over your face and where there will be corrective lenses available really cheaply if you wear glasses and all these sorts of stuff. And it's, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's already changing super fast. So what's, what's your hope for the technology over the next few years? Now that you've had, you've been in this world for a bit and you've immersed yourself to write the book, you know, where do you want to see it go and where do you, is that the same place it is going? Yeah. Well, I want to see a couple things. One is I want to see all the hardware improve. The headsets need to get lighter. The screens need to get better. The field of, of, of view needs to get wider. It just needs to be more convincing simulations, which is important. I think one of the big things that we need to see happen is more and better content. You know, the hardware came first in a lot of ways because, you know, we had to prove that this was a real platform, that it wasn't just hype again, that this wasn't all going to crash and burn and make people sick. And now that the hardware is there, we need to see people really making good content, whether that's good video games or good business tools. Um, but I would like to see people from other realms also come in and start using VR. That's what's going to make it interesting. The more artists who are doing it, the more, you know, people in 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 industries like construction or things which maybe you wouldn't necessarily think of VR as being immediately uh, useful, but I want to see the end cases. I want to see people saying, you know what, I uh, I work in construction, I build bridges, and I've had some fantastic insight about how virtual reality could help me build build bridges better. I don't know what that is, but I know that there's got to be an application out there. And I'm hoping that as the hardware proliferates and get out there, you're going to see more people sort of have this insight of like, oh yeah, you know, my kid has this headset. Or I went over to my friend's house and I played this video game on, on his virtual reality headset. And now, you know what, I have a great idea where I can take this to work and I can do something. And, and I think it, it'll happen the same way as we saw with the uh, the rise of personal computers and also with the spread of the internet, you know, as people start to get their hands on it, they'll innovate and they'll realize like, Oh wait, I have an awesome idea for a business or a, or a service or an entertainment thing that we could do on this that nobody's thought of yet. But that's what I want to see. I want to see it get in the hands of more and different people. Um, especially because right now it's not just the first generation of hardware, but it's also very expensive hardware. So the bar to entry is pretty high. If you want to run one of these high-end VR systems on your computer, you're really in for at least a thousand bucks to get started. Um, I want to see what happens when, you know, some brilliant kid somewhere is able to get a, a really good $50 headset for Christmas and what he's going to make with it. And I guess the big evolution will be when there's a VR enabled internet, when, certain portions or neighborhoods in the internet or the entire thing are VR ready, VR enabled. That'll be a huge paradigm shift. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be, you know, the, the, there are already some social spaces on, on online where people can log in and have like VR chat rooms and stuff like that. And they're really interesting and people are into them. Um, they just, those need to evolve. And like I said, there needs to be, you know, where's the, where's the virtual Facebook going to be? And, you know, it's it's not a coincidence that I mentioned Facebook because they're investing hugely into virtual reality. But, like, that's what we need is those social spaces where people meet up in cyberspace. And when those start appearing, it's going to it's going to be a big deal. Well, very good. Um, uh, last last comment or two, last question. Any 
anything you learned that really surprised you or was radically different from what you thought when you first went in? Well, I think what really surprised me was not that the technology worked, you know, which was, you know, good to see. So what I was really surprised by is just how visceral these experiences can be, how they feel so real, even when the graphics aren't perfect perfect, even when it looks like a cartoon, even when you're talking to a weird robot thing and not a human being. Like I was surprised by how I actually made connections with people and how I experienced a real emotion and not just sort of the thrill of being in VR, like, ooh, this is scary, but like things would think I connected with things in virtual reality and felt things in a way like fear or like anticipation or emotions that I don't other video games and other sort of simulations just don't do that for me. But I think it really comes down to in a virtual reality, you lose the screen. It's not perfect. It doesn't trick you completely into thinking this is real, but it tricks the lizard part of your brain. You know, there's some part of your brain that just looks around and sees something and the primitive parts of your brain accept it for what it is. Even if your higher intellect knows you're wearing a headset and you're in a simulation, Parts of your brain are like, okay, yeah, this is what's happening now. I look around, I buy it, I'm sold. And that creates a connection to this content and to these tools that I just haven't experienced in other technologies. And that was really surprising to me that it's not just about, oh, you got to have a perfect simulation. It's about this is speaking to a part of my brain that other technologies have not spoken to. Well, very cool. Well, uh, for listeners, um, you know, your book, Defying Reality, it sounds, uh, really interesting and it's going to give people a taste of what virtual reality and augmented reality mixed reality like you said uh, can do and where they're going so i I highly encourage people to check it out it's uh, available on amazon and and, most major places you can buy a book and uh, david any any last comments for the audience for listeners well i just say to people that you know this is this isn't the next thing this is the technology that's going to change the world. It's going to be profound the same way that that television and film and computers change the world. I think this is going to be a really, really big one. And so I hope that people are, are, are getting in front of it while they still can. Well, that's great. I appreciate you coming and uh, thanks for your time. Hey, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.